0: hey hey nwa what you got with you to share today hey hey nwa wanna hear what you got to say bet go down to fate nwa hey hey
1: hey friends welcome back to another episode of hey hey nwa i'm zach um This is our second episode in a conversation that we had with Dayton Castleman. Our first episode can kind of give you some context for who Dayton is, um, but if you want to go back and listen to that one, you can. If you don't want to, this is the conversation that we get into the more meat of what Dayton does and uh, some of his backstory that really influences the way he is and thinks and works in the world. Um, So anyway... It's really, really excellent. This, if you listen to the first episode, I mentioned there is a part that made me tear up a little bit. That is in this section of the interview. And I get really, really excited about something Dayton is doing with the Rogers experimental house as well in this episode. It's really good. It's really exciting. So anyway, uh, one quick announcement real quick. Uh, this weekend, this Saturday. November 4th we are teaming up with Meg Meredith for a live podcast recording and night of art and storytelling it'll include poets and live painting and slam poetry a live podcast beer snacks all sorts of fun stuff Um, you can go check out the event we posted on our Facebook page and look and see what all is going on there it'll be a really great night I'm not going to keep you any longer now so enjoy the episode with Dayton
2: Right after moving to Rogers, um, I got a phone call, uh, from Huff Projects, uh, about the Bentonville Culinary Center and this architectural feature of the center, which was to be a massive, um, steel canopy by massive, just it's very long, it's 500 feet long on one end and it's about 150 or 250 feet on the other leg of it. Um, And this canopy was to be perforated, uh, laser cut perforations put into it. So it acted um, more like a parasol um, than something to keep the rain off of you necessarily. And, uh, And they wanted to collaborate with a local artist. They wanted to collaborate with somebody from the area and they had seen the arrow and they asked who did the arrow. And that's how, you know, I arrived at working with them on that mm. culinary center. How long canopy. ago was that? Because that got installed That was the summer? That was November. The first communication about that was November of 2015. Oh, wow. Wow. And uh, it was weeks before I'm looking at Peyton and I'm about to refer to something that he knows about that not everybody knows about. Uh, oh, no. But it was an important part of the story was the discovery of a brain tumor and suddenly interjects. <laughs> <laughs> it's your podcast. No, we're, just, we're just pointing
0: back and forth. <laughs> yeah. So um, just for context for the listeners, I guess. So um, I went to the TEDx of Dixon Street, uh, which which was just our um, Northwest Arkansas local uh, ted talk
1: so lucky it was so super
0: neat it hasn't that. been done in three years but it's then they resurrected it um a couple of weeks ago and so that's where i actually like ran into dayton and got to hear a story which oh, mind you like everyone in the crowd well actually like maybe i was crying and nobody else was but like everybody <laughs> else was because it was beautiful and i was and,
2: so surprised by the tears really everybody who said they cried I was. I didn't real. I didn't think of it as that kind of story. I thought of it as kind of funny. Uh, it was like that's so cool. Okay,
0: you need to tell the story. You need to tell the story, and then I'll say what I listened to. All right, I've got there. An go. 18 minute
2: TED talk.
1: Here it is. I've prepared it and memorized it. Now, I'm ready for the straight um,
2: These two things actually are somewhat related. The, okay, the vine is what that canopy is called. Perfect. Um, the vine was a title, a working title, I think given to it by Huffed project. So it was not my title, but when they came to me with this canopy and, um, this idea to perforate it and asked me, uh, we kind of had a creative conversation interview, I suppose. Um, and they didn't tell me, you know, like, well, thanks for calling. Uh, so we just kept working on it. And, uh, the as the imagery developed and as the project developed i found out in early december which was just a couple weeks after that first conversation and just as i was starting to solidify some what i thought were some interesting ideas and the ideas i thought were really gonna work um i found i had a brain tumor Hmm. um it was a benign tumor i'm thankful for that yeah um there are much worse fates um than what i had but still quite a frightening thing um and in my conversations with the brain surgeon um about my first my first appointment went like this well you know this thing's uh nine millimeters and anything larger than eight millimeters so it's, we're talking like smaller than a marble yeah anything anything larger than eight millimeters you know um it's it's advisable that we go ahead and do surgery to remove this thing Um, so you know i want to talk about that and i want to get that scheduled and how's january which was like three weeks away at that point and i was like i just i was completely flabbergasted by this conversation that i was having you know it wasn't something like in the future to watch and wait for it was like surgery time and uh and then on my drawing table i've got this really cool project opportunity and i'm like oh this really stinks so there's a deadline for the files and the design for the perforations on the canopy of uh i think it was late february sometime late february and i knew if i had brain surgery in january i'm not gonna be able to first of all I didn't know if my brain would still work. So there yeah. were other considerations. So I, that's when I asked the, the, uh, the doctor if it would be possible to push it to springtime. Um, and, uh, and he was amenable to that. So, uh, that allowed me to keep working on the vine and, uh, you'll have to watch the Ted talk to hear about how I (laughs) engaged the, um, the, the process of preparing to have brain surgery, which was also its own giant creative project. Huh? I'm intrigued because right now
1: (laughs) what I'm intrigued by right now is the fact in my mind, this is what's just happened. Uh I've connected the vine to this tumor that you have. And somehow those two things are the same. But I have no idea, so we'll find. I guess I'll watch the TED Talk. And it's very find out. interesting. Yeah, you don't.
2: Yeah. Well, it was
1: <laughs> perfect. Swing and a miss. <laughs> nice try.
2: I don't mind giving you know an abstract of it, which was that in order to cope with the very real fear that I felt about both having a brain tumor and I would say even especially going through brain surgery, um, I. Along that, like as I was waiting for that, exactly sixty days before the surgery was the thirty-year anniversary of the uh, space shuttle Ch- Challenger disaster, and um, I was having a hard time emotionally during this period. You know, I was stressed and worried, and you know, I want to see my kids grow up. Yeah, sort of feelings. Yeah, and uh, I recalled. story of that I've recalled the story of the day that the Challenger blew up um, which I had watched with all of the elementary schoolers at my uh, school in New Orleans which is Mm -hmm. where I grew up and uh, after it blew up and it was just kind of you know it was sad and bizarre and really weird none of us kids had ever gone through seen something like that or experienced it teachers hadn't nobody kind of knew what to do it was just a little bit of a shock sort of feeling and my mom came to school to uh check on me because she knew i wanted to be an astronaut and she knew i was like in my brain i was on that space shuttle so Mm -hmm. she just come and check on her boy and um she she asked me how i was doing and i said i'm okay mama and i still want to be an astronaut and i remembered that and I, re- I recalled on that day that that was the most poignant story from that the memory of that day 30 years earlier mm. and i recall thinking to myself i wish i i wish i had that much courage right now in the face of brain surgery mm. you know that i did as a 10 year old who just watched a spaceship blow up with teacher on it you know Um, but I always just assumed that there was some risk to space travel it could blow up. There's lots of movies of early, you know, US space program of rockets flying off. So I just assumed that risk, but that there was something greater, uh, that was essential to it. And I decided from that day, even as I was typing that as my Facebook status, I still want to be an astronaut. I thought to myself, I could still be an astronaut and I could just sort of as a um, 40 year old man dive right back into all those fantasies that were so easy for me to have when I was eight years old. Mm -hmm. You know, I get in my mom's car in the back seat, put the seatbelt on and, you know, and I'm piloting some sort of spacecraft I could easily go on these imaginative flights of fancy that, um, you know, would just kind of transport me out of wherever I was and place me in some new space and uh, and so I decided that from that point on I was going to treat the entire process of preparing for and anticipating uh, brain surgery as if I were actually preparing to be an astronaut and so that March 28th was launch day now and the uh, Northwest Arkansas or Washington Regional Medical Center became Washington Regional Space Center, mm. and every bit of it, like the MRI tube, was a scene straight out of the right stuff. You know, where like they're trying to break you. Yeah. And if you want to be an astronaut, you got to go in with a smile and come out with a smile. Uh-huh. Um, and so, so any of the hardships that I endured, I just I assume that that was what I had to do to be an astronaut. And so I sucked it up and I had a lot of courage. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's the, that project, it's a long or long rabbit trail. But well, great. you also
0: produced like some pieces out of that.
2: Yeah, so, well the, so the whole process of imagining that, it, it was a, there were, I like to think of them as sacramental elements to this imagined astronaut fantasy. Mm. In other words, it's not just this idea that I'm going to be an astronaut, but I'm, I'm performing, I'm I'm treating certain things ceremonially. Mm. Um, I am, uh, I'm performing rituals of different sorts and sometimes strange sorts. I, you know, I wore for the Ted talk and in in retrospect, I've thought maybe do you remember the photograph of the, was it John Kerry who was photographed on all fours in a blue suit, like peeking into the hole of a spacecraft or something like that. I don't know. There was a, there was, it was one of the elections that John Kerry was in and, it was the sort of thing I would have done. Yeah, I'll put on a blue suit if I can look inside of this really cool machine or um, whatever. But just to kind of see this presidential candidate on all fours in this blue latex suit or whatever, yeah. it wasn't very presidential. And I remember them pointing to that image and saying like, that kind of really hurt him actually in the campaign. Mm. And I remember thinking that at TED because I was wearing this hospital gown with NASA patches attached to it you know it's not very flattering or uh, business business like I was wearing clothes underneath unlike some of the photographs that I took out in nature without the clothes underneath you know Um, so I took photographs as a part of it I did some drawings as a part of it I created some sculptures as a part of it Um, I had my head ceremonially shaved In downtown Bentonville as a Mm. part of it yeah Uh, I really kind of ritualistic approach to the fantasy so I end up with several objects and documentation of interesting uh, actions that I was doing just to try to keep from freaking out right right yeah huh and we
0: all <laughs> wept because it all beautifully fit together oh and was God. such an emotional experience for us all, even though we all knew how it ended, because well, you know
2: I'm you know, I'm probably the only person that hasn't seen my TED Talk. Well, I guess only the people that were there saw my TED talk, but I haven't seen it, so I don't really even know what it was like. And when you're doing that, it's like eighteen minutes is a blink of an eye, mm. and you just try to do a good job. What yeah. can I even say? You just try to do it effectively. and But you don't, I have no recollection of actually how it went. Yeah. Or what it was like. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to watch the video <laughs> to see why people cried.
1: Yeah. I'm just, I don't mean to der- derail this, but this notion, okay. the notion of like creating sacrament around mm-hmm. really innocuous, like life stuff. Like I'm going to get my haircut and this has now become a sacrament. as yeah. I'm hurtled towards surgery. Yeah. Um, Gosh, I'm just like curious, be on the other side of that, have, what is, oh man, just like the question of like, what now has become sacred Uh that wasn't formerly sacred as you did sacraments around it or ritual around it and then came back down to earth and joined the rest of us?
2: I, uh, I grew up in the Presbyterian church. Mm -hmm. My dad's a Presbyterian pastor. My granddad is a Presbyterian pastor and um, presbyterians take liturgy seriously it's not as um, high as say catholic or orthodox or episcopal liturgy Um, but uh, i grew up with these sacraments of the lord's supper the sacrament of baptism and um, you know these were things that i saw throughout my upbringing repeated and they both they all involved some metaphorical or symbolic but material symbol. Mm-hmm. In the one case it's water, um in the other case it's bread and wine. And and these things were given meaning, you know, mm-hmm. meaning is sort of Jesus at the last supper says, this is my body and this is my blood and this is what they are now. Yeah. When you do this, this is what it means and so i think that part of that upbringing within the church and specifically the importance of these um sacramental symbols sacrament really just means to give flesh to something okay so when i describe my practice as not being driven by media it's driven by ideas that then i give flesh to Mm. and the form of the flesh conforms to the idea right so I think it was that I start out by just imagining that I'm going to be an astronaut. And then I, you know, I have a MRI scheduled and I have to weave that into my astronaut fantasy. So I have to give sort of physical or material meaning to the things that I'm going to do. Yeah. So to, um, to add to those experiences, you know, I know it's going to happen. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be stripped naked and they're going to put this, you know, outfit with a slit all the way down the back on me. And I'm going to lay in a table and I'm going to have my head kind of strapped into this thingy. And then they're going to, you know, uh, convey me into this super claustrophobic tube. It's mm-hmm. so skinny and your head starts at the, where you go in. So the entrance to it just keeps getting farther and farther and farther Mm -hmm. away from, from your eyes, from your head. And so eventually, you know, uh, you're completely enclosed in the thing. And, and then they, you know, the, the way the magnetic resonance imaging works is, uh, a mystery to me, but it makes a lot of very loud, very violent disconcerting noises. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, i uh have you know referred to it as the devil's experimental music um, <laughs> wow. just as a way of just describing how kind of jarring it is yeah eventually if you control your breathing and if you're in that thinking that i just have to endure this because if the next guy doesn't that might qualify me for the mercury program um, you start to hear even that, you know, there there is a rhythm to it. Mm. It goes through these cycles, but it's a horrible kind of experience. So knowing I'm going to go through that, I sort of imaginatively transpose the experience, give it flesh in, in meaning in a way that's completely directed away from the thing that I'm afraid of. Yeah. Um, And, uh, and then I stole the gown for my spacesuit. Yeah, you did. Yeah. So I asked the the uh imaging technician's advice. <laughs> I said, I have every intention of trying to make off with this gown here. How would you suggest I try to get it out of the hospital? Is that cool? <laughs>
1: And they said absolutely not, and you took it anyway. <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, just stuff it down <laughs> your pants or something. Don't, don't <laughs> let them see you. Yeah. <laughs> Walk out with it." Huh. Gotcha.
2: <sighs> no biggie, though. Apparently. All
1: right, back on track yeah. now. Okay, it's special. It I guess. Curious. I mean, what is the track? Anymore? Sorry, <laughs> I know we're we're talking about art, which is yeah, great. We are. Mm-hmm. We are. Yeah. Absolutely. I just know we're moving toward like That's what is thing. what's going on now um with you because there how recent was the vine that was <sighs> that was 2015 um, 16
2: 16 that was like august of and fall of 2016 was when that really got ended up being completed um so almost a year after the process began mm-hmm. um about nine months after surgery approximately um i had we had when we moved to rogers from bentonville because we were really were priced out of downtown in terms of, um, buying something. And, uh, we were, we were expecting another and well, we actually, I think Fletcher had actually been born. So we had three kids now, we needed a bigger place and Rogers was a much more affordable place to look, to buy something for artists like us. And, uh, I had every intention of, you know, sort of trying to hit the ground running in Rogers, um, and start helping being a part of shaping the cultural character of Rogers within Mm -hmm. the region, you know, whatever form that might take. Um, and so the, the tumor diagnosis was also kind of a big blow to that because instead of spending my first, you know, six months in Rogers, um, going crazy and being creative and, Getting the feel for the place and trying to figure out what i might be able to get my hands into i spent it dealing with and recovering from the surgery um so then in the summer of 2016 uh two or three months after the surgery uh i met a couple of people in downtown rogers um on the street during an art fair or whatever and started a conversation. And that's what started the ball rolling on what has become Roger's Experimental House. Um, Roger's Experimental House is a giant project that is slowly sucking every ounce of life out of me (laughs) that was left. (laughs) (laughs) And I say that in the most affectionate way possible because it is a dream to even be able to think about the possibility of um, forming a space that is specifically geared toward equipping artists with the tools and the materials required to make whatever it is that you might be wanting mm-hmm. to make and to be fairly broad in that. So uh, I think at its core, it began as a place where there is, you have uh, studio space, dedicated to two-dimensional processes and um classes and things like that um and then but then you have a fully appointed wood metal and digital fabrication facility of some sort um not easy to do without money uh, of course i can imagine yeah <laughs> so um so what we uh Myself and four board members, uh, started working on, uh, well, really we were, we were working on it organizationally and we applied for and got 501c3 status on December 24th of 2016. Um, and then got a. An opportunity to do a pop up in a really, really cool space in downtown Rogers. Um, I think that if I could spend eight hours a day, five days a week working on Rogers Experimental House, the pop up would have been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as it was, we were all volunteering and trying to put things together, but the idea was to work on this space um, as a locus for at least seeding the beginning of a community of like-minded people that could hopefully, potentially in the future, help uh, drive and become an audience for and give momentum to this possibility of an artist resource base. Hmm. Um, I think it's been moderately successful. We've had some, I think we have seen some of that community coalesce. Uh, I think because we're all volunteers, uh, it's suffered most just from us having to make money, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, and having to devote time to things like our jobs and family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So a little disappointing in that I wish that I was, you know, that 27-year-old, you know, that has all the time in the world. You have no idea how much all the time in the world you have when you're that age, Uh I think. Um, But uh, we're in the, well, we're about six months, five months from the end of that one year lease, um, which was a lease that was kindly um, given to us for no money. Um, We are still Trying to raise money to pay the utilities, you know, month by month. Right. But um, utilizing that as a form of uh, broad, a platform for broad programming mm-hmm. at this point. We don't have a wood shop and a metal shop and kind of some of the things that we dream about. Um, but I see it as kind of a foundation uh, for moving into experimental house 2.0 or whatever that, yeah. whatever form that takes yeah motivated some by moving to northwest arkansas and as it did begin to work on some large-scale projects realizing how much more difficult it was to find people to do the types of things that i wanted to do um half and half teas for example was (laughs) like i would really love to get this poster screen printed who does custom screen printing in northwest arkansas it ends up that he recommended not screen printing it because of the scale of the line and all that kind of stuff. It's fine. But you need a you need somebody that's smart enough to tell you that. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, it was so easy in Philadelphia or Chicago to find people with all different sorts of expertise and or facilities. Um, even sometimes facilities that you were able to, to use or utilize, um, If not just the expertise, and um the ability to fabricate certain things uh and you know in comparison to northwest arkansas i i just really struggled to find some of those resources when i arrived here sure and so it's always kind of created a hunger and i think it's one of the foundational resources that is likely to help encourage um artists specifically from the outside to adopt this place as um, a place that they want to live.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, this, this kind of goes down. Something we've seen um, in a lot of our interviews is the, I want this thing to exist. And so I'm going to make it happen, you know, like it's, yeah. and not just like, Oh, I wish somebody would make that, but like, Hey, I'm going to be that person. Yeah. I'm going to Gandhi it up and be the change I want to see in the world. So I kind of have to go credit for it.
2: My, uh, my college freshman dorm buddies who become my best friends for that because we all ended up at a um small private Presbyterian college that wasn't going to uh lay out a platter of interesting things for us to do, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. And I just remember early on in that experience all of us kind of putting our heads together and resolving that like if this is going to be interesting while we're here we're going to have to play an active role in making it that way. Yeah, and uh, so I think that either that planted a seed or it ignited something that existed in me, which is, I, I just have a desire to, to develop things, to grow things, to make new things. Yeah. So whether it's a, an object that I can hold in my hands or whether it's a monumentally sized object or whether it's uh, an organization or a resource, Putting flesh um, to ideas, yeah, I just <laughs> I, mean, I just enjoy, yeah, taking yeah. interesting ideas and trying to make them. So, um, yeah. if I ever win the lottery, I'm Maybe. gonna work so hard <laughs> the rest of my life, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna love it.
1: You're not gonna sit back, you're gonna <laughs> that's then that's have the way. resources you need to go, no, exactly, do something wild.
2: exactly. Yeah, that's how I approach something like that. Windfall yeah. means like, yes, we get to work,
1: yeah. Um, I'm so curious about this Rogers Experimental House. Uh You have no idea. Um, I used to work in a co-working space in Tennessee. Uh Loved it because what a large part of what you... I'm curious, is this exclusively artists? No, No, not necessarily. Um, What I saw so much in this collaborative space, which was all entrepreneurs, business people, um, was you started to see an overlap and interchange of ideas mm-hmm. from people from different departments. So you yeah. had people who worked in coding and people who worked in engineering and people who were welders and people who were screen printers and people who were speakers and mm-hmm. getting in the same room yeah. under the same roof and the collaboration that came out of there, the ideas that came out of yeah. there, the uh, dispersing of technology and skill and information and even money sometimes yeah. was really neat to see. And I haven't seen anything like that pop up in Northwest Arkansas. I've seen trappings of it in different yeah. places, like co-working spaces or whatever. Um, but this sort of thing really fascinates me, partially because I work with wood and metal. But, uh, yeah. I mean. Yeah,
2: I mean, who wouldn't want, you know, it's like, you want a metal shop? I don't have a metal shop. I know, and, but I'm trying uh, to make one for that's you. That's what I'm you know, saying. For like, you this is,
1: <laughs> This is like, it. As someone who moved to Northwest Arkansas thinking, I might
2: do this there. Well, the website is ExperimentalHouse.com, and there's a donate button in the upper right-hand corner. (laughs) You, too, can help us get
1: there. Yeah, it's just... Build (laughs) Zach a wood shop. Build me a wood shop. I want to weld. Sounds like a good campaign. I went back to Jackson a couple of weekends ago, and I broke into the art studio there. Over, it was on fall break, and I just saw the old, like, 220 welders we used to uh-huh. use and I was like, I haven't played with one of these in so long and I just want to play with a welder. Oh, it was wild. But the fact the fact that there are people who are putting their heads together to figure out how to create a space for makers and creatives. And yeah. Even people who just want to learn skills, it's just like, oh, you're doing the yeah. good work. <laughs> like Well and you know, so I can't
2: emphasize enough that I I really view it as an open source project. Okay. Um, and so that means that Zach, you may be involved just by saying, I want to be involved, you know, that it's not, I don't want it to be it every, re- it's requiring right now the few people who are highly involved in it, spending way more time than we have trying to just keep the thing going. Right. Um, But it's really gonna run on people. And the idea of an open source community like that is inspired by spaces I saw in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, One space in particular that um, was community driven and there was a lot of energy behind it. But also, um, when I was... uh, when I was recovering from brain surgery, I read uh, Sam Walton's book, and now I forget the title. It's like... Made in America? Made in America. Made in America. I knew it was three words. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, to me, moving to a town whose DNA was sort of built around commerce and business was... That was like moving to a foreign land because I think I erroneously always equated business and accounting growing up, you know? So I just always assumed that, like, those people that are studying business, like, they're spending all day looking at screens with numbers on them. Yeah. I just, it was not true, but that was the idea that I had about it. And,. And moving to Benville was sort of a crash course, an immersion, and you know I met all kinds of people who this guy owns a business, and you know it's it's bizarro world in mm-hmm. Bentonville, plain and simple. But then reading this biography, what I realized was how what I could see was how um Sam Walton was a super super creative guy and he looked at the environmental conditions and he looked at well he's he's looking at a lot of um uh factors you know uh on a graph and he's he's kind of triangulated he was so fun but he was just like willing to he saw a good idea he was like that's a good idea i'm going to incorporate that into my business model yeah. you know that's a good idea i'm going to incorporate that so he wasn't too proud to say like look i'm creating this business model or whatever he's like what are the best things that people are doing out there mm-hmm. um he you know traveled incessantly in order to see how you know he's stopping in you know discounters and dime stores all over america everywhere he goes just to check out what they're doing um and i and i realized it was like business is really fundamentally a creative profession at least that's the transformation perspective that happened in my brain Mm -hmm. and i thought well i just thought that was the coolest thing in the world that i could also have a business idea maybe and you know, to do this nonprofit you do have to incorporate and you do have to actually figure out ways that it can be self supporting. Um, you know, unless you have some angelic person that wants to grant you uh, you know, a lot of capital. Yeah. To try to bring it up. Um, and that kind of gave me the courage. Reading that book, it was like gave me the courage to try the old experimental house. Um and uh hopefully it keeps going but i think we want to we need need more interested people need comrades and um partners of all different sorts to uh it's kind of like in like 1971 i think if you bought four thousand dollars worth of or a thousand dollars worth of walmart stock it's worth like a couple million dollars now at the ipo or whatever and um, I bet there are some people in Benville that regret not spending that thousand dollars. But that's probably speculation looking to for hand another, another podcast. Another thousand dollars somewhere else. It's <laughs> like I knew we should have bought that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I forgot where I was even going with that. Some other. Well, it
0: sounds like you're talking about just investing segment. in something now, and you know, kind of without the that's clarity where it of knowing Ownership. Where it goes yeah ownership,
2: so buying stock and something you know you you pay a thousand dollars, you get a thousand shares of whatever um ownership of the experimental house is basically it's sweat equity ownership, you know it's like if you want to own a piece of it, if you want to be a part of what it becomes, right now we have a pop up space um that can accommodate all kinds of interesting projects now the challenge is for me. I still have to kind of coordinate and direct that. Yeah. So even good ideas that come in, I like self-sufficient people that I can trust. Right. Um but uh but yeah, it's it's you can buy stock in it, so to speak. My friend Justin Hart, for example, he was involved with the idea factory. Yeah. Yeah. Justin. Met him at one of those first informational meetings that we threw to just tell people what we were dreaming up. Um Justin uh, for one, he set up a home brewing laboratory um, In the space Right now, we've kind of Grandfathered in some of the original people um, And he's not He's not paying a rent for his little Kind of postage stamp in the space um, Although, you know, we're going to have to think Of different ways of doing that right. Once we're not Having a donated space um, He's got a little laboratory where he's He's working on his homebrewing passion and project, but he's using technology to create better ways for him to homebrew. Um, hmm. He's making a fermenter out of a wefit Fit board and a college dorm... Like refrigerator. Wild. Honestly, so somebody's got so, use those We Fit boards. So he can control the he can control the temperature inside of it with a like a Raspberry Pi or something like mm-hmm. that is what he's working on, I believe. And he's using the We Fit as a scale because essentially it's kind of what they are. Yeah. Yeah. And he's using that as a scale so he can determine the point in the fermentation process of the uh, carboy or whatever it is inside of the fridge without opening the fridge, and he can adjust the temperature to brew loggers um, oh, wow. and stuff like that. So, you know, he's got his little super cool, like Lego sets uh-huh. over the corner yeah. kind of thing. Um, and he also, he, and I w- I think it might've been his wife, Amanda, who mm-hmm. originally um, mentioned the idea of a repair cafe. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is basically you get some engineers and Justin's an engineer by trade. Mm-hmm some engineers and geeks and nerds and we always tinkers. call them tinkers. Yeah. yeah. Tinkers. Um, I like all those designations. Uh-huh. Um, I love geeks and nerds. You know, it's not, I don't think of that in a negative way not at all. whatsoever. Um, you get a bunch of those people together and each of them kind of brings their own tool bag and you invite people to bring broken things and those people descend on the broken things and try to fix them. And, we did the first one at the experimental house in Rogers. Um, and it was really quite successful. We saw like 25 different items come in and I think about 21 or 22 of them were fixed. The only things that we didn't end up fixing were things that were broken due to, um, spent rechargeable batteries, rechargeable batteries that had just died. Interesting. Okay. And without actually rebuilding the battery, which, a new a a person that's come more recently into the fixed cafe orbit uh he said he knows how to fix rechargeable batteries we can pop them open and we just have to have the batteries or whatever so um and then so then the amazium uh scott family amazium got wind of that project um justin i think proposed it to them um and uh, his wife amanda had worked at the amazium so that their tinker fest this fall we represented the Fix It Cafe. Um, and uh, it was not as well attended because most people that are bringing like five kids to an event where they're going to run around and play with sharp objects <laughs> don't and stuff, bring aren't also bringing welder their or whatever. Yeah, exactly. yeah. My vacuum cleaner, <laughs> uh-huh. <or> too. <laughs> don't forget to you know, grab all those other things that are going to make this trip even more difficult. No <laughs> But we had a couple great ones. One, the highlight of the day was a 1981 Radio Shack. What was it called? Talking Roby. R O B I E. Talking Roby. Okay. Little plastic radio controlled robot, single push button. You know, like you let go of the button and it goes straight, and then you press the button and it turns in reverse Mm -hmm. sort of yeah early early radio controlled uh and then it had a walkie-talkie on the controller so you could say things into the walkie-talkie and the robot would say it yeah and Mm -hmm. this family brought it in this little girl brought this 35 year old toy in and it's broken and uh one of our engineers um actually this guy I'm blanking on his name right now. I'll just blame that on the brain. Um but uh he is the the lead uh hardware engineer for Roku who makes the, you know, TV stuff, yes, things, yeah. Of course. So yeah. it's a guy, you know, he knows his stuff. Great pedigree when it comes to working with electronics. And he finds this 35-year-old uh, uh owner's manual on the internet for the talking Roby, And this was back in the day when if you bought something from Radio Shack, a toy, the owner's manual had the wiring diagram in it. So he's got this really complex wiring diagram on this little kid's toy. He looks at the wiring diagram. He looks at the talking Roby. Now he knows where all these disconnected wires go. He solders the thing up. And the next thing you know, this, 35 year old robot is rolling around the floor of the amazing with these like brand new, like super Lego ones that you control with your cell phone uh-huh. robots. Yeah. It like the old and the new or battling so with each sweet. other. That was a great story. But so, you know, Justin and Amanda, his wife, uh, have been a real highlight as people who kind of bought in and they've just worked, you know, and they've helped us by, uh, coming up with some creative ideas and doing some creative projects amanda brought up the power racing series are you guys familiar with power racing series i'm not okay um i don't know how you handle insurance for something like this but (laughs) and i really would like to like i think it's a sort of a national thing Okay, i'd almost want to do my uh, our own thing Uh but what it is is you soup up um like power wheel chassis you take a power wheel like the kind of kid rides in the yard yeah and um you like mod it and you turn it into a hot rod <laughs> um and the, the <laughs> it, and then they race yeah so and the their definitions are real relaxed i mean basically you can pretty much lose almost the entire original car which doesn't seem like much fun to me but so they're pretty, pretty broad in terms of what the vehicle can be. Um, but, uh, like, that's, that's a super, super cool, fun and awesome idea. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, all we need is like two months to work on it without going to regular job and like $10,000. Yeah. Easily. We'll yeah. throw that event. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Casual that's uh but so yeah it's it's stuff like that that uh-huh. the experimental house is intended to be a place that can like say hey this is great let's under the umbrella of this organization which is meant to facilitate creative projects of all sorts right maybe we can figure out a way to make that happen like the fix-it cafe and, yeah um
1: that's all just super exciting stuff oh yeah. it's just so good we'll,
2: man i love it i love it so much. maybe <laughs> all 14 of your listeners uh uh-huh could get involved thanks for, thanks for listening and Noel. then thanks we'd like triple, triple <laughs> Yeah, watch we'd triple the, the number of you know active participants it really just yeah it needs um i don't know man
1: i'm so down with this peyton like you have no idea this is like this is what i first talked to jared when i moved here about was like seeing an artistic cooperative space come yeah. to be in this area and it was just well,
2: your involvement with a co-work space uh-huh. is a huge that sort of thing is a huge asset the fact that you work you know i talked to the half and half guys about um some kind of screen printing collaboration i have plans for a mobile screen printing cart um mm. that obviously you're not going to create screens on the cart right but what it does is you can you can store paper you can store screens um and you have a surface on which you can make prints, but it's all self-contained. Um, yeah, a cart would cost about. I think it would cost about five thousand dollars. Okay, to like really do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know it's got like large enough wheels, good swivels, everything, so you can roll it around, and you can. And I, I originally I wanted to have one of those for the experimental house, so we could. Take the screen printing cart out to the farmers market mm. and teach kids how to pull prints. Yeah, um, bring t shirts and uh, yeah, just bring your own stuff and we'll teach print them it. how to yeah do whatever and um, I've done that before yeah so super cool yeah yeah so okay so you can lead that project perfect I've signed myself up for some well you guys asked me to do this this is the
0: (laughs) this is the last interview uh, where Zach will be interviewing with me Uh Um, from now on Zach is going to join the Rogers Experimental House We're actually, um, and I will be doing this project on my own from now on I guess
1: Peyton this is actually our secret infiltration of Rogers Experiment House where we have a
2: center for podcast Um, humans (laughs) start a radio station done start a radio station do it no i mean that's really absolutely who knows you know every idea starts out as that first idea and then you have to hone it um sharpen it um creativity the process that helps you arrive at ideas with value you know you have to go through that process but um would love to see some kind of some form of uh broadcasting you know probably not radio they're doing that i mean kobv is awesome Uh, i love Uh kobv i love those guys um i you know moved to bentonville i mean i moved out of bentonville right at about at the point that kobv was happening um but what a great product they they just run a great radio station i love listening to it it's my fave